Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming outside me today. Today, we are going all the way across the continent and all the way down into the Pacific Ocean, all the way to the wonderful state of Hawaii. We're talking with Robert down there as he is part of the Coast Guard. He's spent a lot of time around many parts of the world, but he's currently stationed in Hawaii and has done a lot of hunting there. Very excited to talk to him today. But first, if you want to be just like Robert and be part of the Average Jack Archery podcast, please do send me an email, averagejackarchery at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or of course, always leave a comment on YouTube. Robert, Rob, Bert, thank you so much for joining us today, bud. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nathan. Hey, Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Oh, man, it just, it just hurts. It hurts my soul on the inside. Yeah, so, on that professional podcaster thing there. Oh, yeah. You can't listen. Just because we're a bunch of average dudes, we have to have like, you know, professional sounding podcasts. It's got to sound like we at least know what we're doing for at least the, right. at least the first like 30 seconds. We got to keep people's interest. <laughs> so we've talked a lot already uh, prior to starting this recording here, but I'm really excited. Uh, you can tell folks a little bit of your, of your backstory if you want, because Hawaii is where you currently are, but you are also in another non-continental U.S. state. Well, you can get to that in a second. Um, but go ahead and tell people, because you're relatively new to archery hunting, at least uh, in recent years. Kind of explain to people how you kind of got into that and what um, state you were in when the whole hunting thing started. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'll start with archery because that was the most recent. But um, Bo Jackson got me into archery. You know, he's my favorite football player of all time. And uh, while I was sick, I was just watching uh, some Bo Jackson videos on YouTube. And in the suggested videos was a video of him shooting a bow. And um, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And for some reason, Cam Haynes came up in the feed, I guess. You know, he's just like the archery staple. One Cam Haynes video and I was down the rabbit hole, turned into three days of me watching elk hunting videos. And just laying on the couch with the flu. Just laying on the couch with the flu. The day I got better, I owned a bow. I found one on Craigslist while I was sick, and the day I was better, I went and picked it up. So um, that's how I got into archery. Um, so that was about two years ago out here in Hawaii. Um, but I got into hunting in Alaska. The Coast Guard um, told me that I was going to go live in Kodiak, Alaska, against my will. Um, so I moved out there, and um, shortly after that, I was down the hunting rabbit hole, and that was in 2009. And I'm just getting deeper and deeper. And you have to tell everybody, because I, I asked you, because this, this is so indicative. Now, see, you had a wild first hunting or first harvest experience, right? This is why, you know, my first harvest experience, I shot a white tail, or I, I shot a little five point, dragged it to the truck, you know, like 200 yards away. You know, I was with like three other people, you know, they helped me take care of it. So on, they showed me the ropes, so on and so forth. But you as a grown-up, did not have any of that, and you just decided to go out hunting, as we said earlier, just on rogue. So describe that first harvest for everybody. Well, yeah, just that like was my picture. first harvest. I had, yeah. been on, I had been on a blacktail hunt before that, but I didn't even see one. Right, um, but I'm saying, but I want to hear this for, folks at home need to hear this first harvest here in a hunting experience. My first harvest was on St. Paul Island. Um, it's an island out in the middle of the Bering Sea. It was probably about... I'm being generous, but there's probably a hundred people that live on the island. Um, and I was out there with the Coast Guard deployment to um, uh, 
keep watch over the crab fishing fleet if they needed, if they, you know, sank or had a heart attack or something, we're out there to help them out. But I'm not on duty every day. So on the days I'm not on duty, St. Paul Island is known for having caribou. And so as a new hunter, I was like, well, you know, let me bring my 300 wind mag and see if I can't get a caribou. Um, so I never shot an animal. I didn't know how to gut an animal. I owned no hunting equipment other than a, a rifle, 300 wind mag. I didn't even have binoculars. I mean, I was blasting this thing through my scope. Um, no range finder. Um, and I didn't even have a hunting buddy. I had my, my friend Jeff, who also didn't know what he was doing. But um, we found the herd while we were driving. Just driving down the V Road in St. Paul. V Road. <laughs> and uh, just happened to see the caribou off in the distance. And so we parked. I did, I wasn't judging the wind. I wasn't, I mean, I didn't even know anything about it. It's just, everything just happened to be in my favor. And after about an hour of crawling through the tundra, um, I shot a caribou. I think it was the one I was aiming at. I told you before, I'm not sure. I think it was the one I was aiming at, but there were a hundred of them there. So my odds are really good at shooting something pointing in that direction. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, but I shot the thing. I tried dragging it across the tundra because um, I didn't know how to gut it. I didn't have a backpack. Definitely didn't know how to quarter it. Oh, man, I dragged it for about half a mile, and then I decided to try to gut it gutted it and then you know as i told you before my friend that uh, jeff did the old uh, demolition derby with the government vehicle across the tundra come help me out because we had to get back man we had to go stand some rescue swimmer duty so we, we cut it close i think i got back with like seven minutes to spare and i was exhausted i that that is that tops all first deer kills anything kills that really does any first big game kill that tops every story i've ever heard i'm not kidding like no camo oh, no. no binoculars driving down the like you're it's like pa boys drinking bush light road hunting and <laughs> and you're out there in alaska in a dry suit with no binoculars with caribou and for people who can't visualize you know, caribou is a giant herd animal you know like white tails you'll see a couple of them but caribou travel in massive herds and you're like let's just go sneak up on that and i got a 300 wind mag and a whole lot of luck and and there you go you just go right at it. i mean that's that is wild that is Still wild to me shot. To, to this day 350 yards is my longest kill that is that. just wild that's absolutely wild well that's that's the benefit of being stationed in alaska is that you know all of our animals are they seem exotic you know i have a mountain goat here um but um, everything is available to us and it's all over the counter. You know, like I don't need a hunting guide and I can, if I want to go archery uh, mountain goat hunting in Alaska, I can drive 20 minutes down the road and hike up the mountain you know, with my bow and, and, and do that. You know, we so, everything, so everything's over the counter there as a resident um, for the most part, I guess. Yeah, for the most, I mean, you can draw. So there are desirable areas that you have to draw for. Um, but there are also leftover tags for those areas. And then depending on the species, there are, we call them registration areas where you just register to hunt there and you don't have to draw a tag. So usually the odds are a little bit more difficult um, to actually harvest something. But I, don't, I didn't just learn to hunt in Alaska. I learned to hunt with rescue swimmers. And 
you know, I don't know if you know anything about our program, but those guys are psychopaths. They don't just, nothing is easy. We choose the hardest route. We work out hard, you know, like we're always trying to prove how tough we are. So we're not, I'm not just going to go kill a deer. Like I'm going to climb up a mountain and kill a mountain goat. Um, it's one of the hardest hunts you can do. You know, like we all go for doll sheep. You know, I, I probably know 30 people have killed a doll sheep and we're just normal guys. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's, I think that's the benefit, not only being in Alaska when I learned, but learning from a bunch of maniacs. Which is just so different than anything you'll experience in the Midwest and Northeast. Uh, granted, they're maniacs, but they're not, let's go climb that giant mountain to kill a doll sheep maniacs. Um, but that's cool. That, that is, that is by far the, the coolest, um, way to, to put yourself in that environment and particularly as an, as an adult, I mean, sure you'd been on hunts before and you'd been around hunters. I mean, you obviously being part of the military, you've been all over the country and all over the world, different stations and seen a lot of different culture. Um, but with Alaska being your, like your first, your first harvest, like that is the first hunting experience you have where it's successful. That's just mind blowing to me. That's mind blowing. Um, and then of course it's like freaking Alaska. Like it's like the last frontier, what everybody talks about. And it just, it just blows my mind. But anyhow, now you've gone from the Bering Sea, the frozen tundra, you know, uh, micro doing the voiceover for the deadliest catch. Now you're in sunshine, blonde hair, Hawaii. And it's still, however, an incredibly target rich environment. I want to talk about that a little bit first. Um, because we said this a little bit earlier off air that for a lot of the, the contiguous 48 states, your hunting license basically says, yeah, you can kill one, depending on the state, one, two, maybe three whitetails in particular in the Northeast Midwest. You get a turkey tag, uh, maybe it's some antlerless licenses, but that's kind of all the species we have for big game. But you have within, you know, sir, you have to fly or boat to different islands, but you have many different big game species down there that are available to you. So why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, as far as a, <clears throat> a hunting destination, I think it's kind of an unknown quantity. That, like, you know, you don't hear a lot of people talking about coming to, to Hawaii to hunt. Only recently, because I think like Joe, Joe Rogan and John Dudley talk about hunting axis deer, are um, my friends even talking about it? But we have seven islands that are part of the Alaska archipelago. Um, I live on Oahu. Um, we have Big Island of Hawaii, Lanai, Molokai, and Kauai are like the islands where you can go to hunt. And I would say out of those, probably Lanai <clears throat> and Molokai are the most uh, recognizable because of the axis deer and the mouflon sheep. And then uh, Big Island also has mouflon sheep. They have feral cows. Um, feral cows? Feral cows. Um, <laughs> out. Yeah, I hear they taste like garbage, but they're... Well, they're yeah, I mean, it's a feral cow. But, like, a feral cow? It's, it's, I was blown away by the feral goat thing. Like, the feral cow. Can you imagine? Yeah. A feral cow. Oh, my gifts. You let them all go. That uh, is amazing. They also have mouflon sheep, they have hogs. Um, and then here on Oahu, we have the Spanish goats, uh, feral goats, and uh, feral pigs, and then all kinds of bird species. So 20 bucks for the resident license, and you can hunt all of these critters, unlimited tags, basically. Yeah, how much is your license? 
Well, it's 20 bucks just for me to have the rights to hunt in Pennsylvania. Okay. And then I got to buy all my tags. So for me to get one buck tag, one doe tag, the ability to hunt and the ability to archery hunt in my state is about 50 bucks. Oh, that's not that bad. It's not that bad, but I don't have, but that's it. I get two tags, right? Okay. Um, and that I got to make. Now, we can apply for more antlers tags uh, for does, uh, for whitetail, um, but at an additional $7 a pop. So um, it depends on how really badly you need extra venison. Um, you know, so, well, let, me, let me caveat that. Um, so the access deer, um, there's, there's, there are two ways to have access to the access deer. There's a state hunt, which is like a lottery that everybody gets drawn for, but they will, you're basically drawing for like the best position on the calendar. Um, <clears throat> so you'll get drawn and given your weekend to hunt. Um, but the island of Lanai is a privately owned island. Um, the guy that owns Oracle, Larry Ellison, also owns the island. And he has set aside a game management area uh, through a company called Pulama Lanai. Um, where you can also purchase the rights to hunt access deer. Uh, so that's in addition to your, your hunting license. Uh, the state hunt is, I think, another $20 entry for the drawing. Uh, same for uh, Mouflon, and there's an, an archery and a rifle. Um, for the access deer, I have to pay $90 unlimited bag for the whole year um, for archery. So, yeah, uh, but, you know, I mean, some people can go over there and kill an axis deer every day that they're over there. That's not me, but um, right. that, so I, for me at $90, uh, that's a pretty good deal. Right. No, and I would say too, because outside of Hawaii and like New Zealand, are there any other hot spots that are for axis? I mean, like you can go down to Texas, for example, yeah. but is that, that's pretty much it though. Yeah, with I mean, without having to go to a game ranch where it's going to be a multi-thousand-dollar hunt, uh, the island of Lanai and Molokai, are, you you can do it yourself. They also have guided hunts over there, but they're also fairly reasonable. Okay, is it um, is it a public land kind of thing, or is it like it's private, but you just have to have it open to hunting because of all the feral animals in general? Yeah, so the private landowners can give you whatever access they deem appropriate. Uh, there is a lot of, there is public land. I mean, there there's a lot of public land. I would say uh, compared to like somewhere like Texas, where it's a giant state, but zero really, public land. Yeah, um, like I said, hunting's not a very big thing out here, so there there aren't any game ranches or anything like that. So, and most private landowners are they want to. It, as long as they know that you're a you know a good safe hunter, uh, they want you to come out and take care of the pigs for them, and the pigs happen to be delicious. So I'm I'm all for it. Now, are they are your pigs there? Are they what we would expect to kind of see free range in Texas? You know, about hundred to two hundred and fifty pounds, kind of in that ballpark. Yeah, hey, I would say the average that I've seen, uh, and they're tough to spot. You know, they're especially here where it's like really thick jungle they're they're smart animals um, but the ones the biggest one i've shot is probably 110 uh and then probably 80 pounds dressed out okay but there are i mean i've heard stories of really big ones i've just never seen that but i've, I've heard of the two and 300 pound hogs out there okay and because of like 
like I don't, is you know when we think of hunting hogs we think of hunting hogs in texas or in the south in some way where baiting for them is pretty legal because they're so uh uh, damaging to crops and to farmland and you, you, you know, golf courses, you know, as you said earlier, um, is that something that you guys can do in Hawaii bait for them or is it all has to be kind of a free range deal? On the private land, I, I use corn. Um, okay. So I'll, dump, I'll dump corn down. I, I've never set up a feeder, but, uh, the private land I hunt is literally a block away. So I just go over there and dump some corn and then I'll go check them in the evening. On the public land, there are a lot of fruit trees out here. And uh, my tactic for, I've never shot one on public land, but my tactic is to go sit on those fruit trees and uh, try to take care of it out there. But I'm telling you, like, if I could just walk a block down the road, you know, and sit in my lawn chair and shoot a pig, it's really hard for me to talk myself into climbing up a mountain when I can just do that. So I feel, I, (laughs) Like that is, that is what you're experiencing is what every hunter in the Northeast and Midwest and everybody else experiences when they have that one ladder stand for gun season, the old faithful, I could go hike deep into public with the saddle or the hang on, or I could just go back to old faithful and walk up, you know, it's the same deal, right? For me, like, and I don't get wound I don't get wound about antler size and that sort of stuff. Uh, Cause to me, all venison tastes the same. doesn't matter if it's a doe, if it's a buck, if it's, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I hear that, by the way, side note that Axis is delicious. Oh, oh man. Like it's better. Th- it's like better than elk. Like everybody here says elk is the thing, but I hear Axis is way better. I've heard that. And I'm kind of the same as you. I've never shot a deer I didn't like. Um, but that Axis deer is I can't even describe it. I mean, just when I was cleaning it, <clears throat> I just shot one two weeks ago. It's the first one I've ever shot. Um, but just quartering it out, like the meat is so tender. Um, so the taste isn't different, but like the consistency is just, I mean, it's so tender. It's, it's really good. Do you find it easier to cook then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like okay. you can't mess it up when you're cooking it. Okay. Cause and we I mean, just I was get... cooking the tongue. I was, I Oh really? You're, <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, you know, Stephen Ranella got me too. So. Oh yeah. You got it. Well, yeah. Like, when Steve, when the meat eaters guys get a hold of you, it's like you're you're up the creek without a paddle because you're like you're like making your own scrapple. You know, you're gonna be tanning yeah, your own. I'm not there yet. I'm not on. Oh, uh, you just wait till you get there. <laughs> That's a Pennsylvania uh, Dutch staple up here. So. My uh, Kodiak but, mentor was from Pennsylvania, and he was always trying to get me to eat scrapple. And oh, uh, I love scrapple. Wasn't gonna happen. Oh, you've, you've never, you've never had a good morning until you've had a couple slices of toast some fried <laughs> eggs and scrapple with mate with real maple syrup. Uh, right. But anyway, I mean, yeah. And then have a cup of coffee and you'll be running to the bathroom about five minutes later. And you know, it's a good, well, I'll see Ranello put it in his cookbook and maybe I'll try it. A little venison scrapple. It's good stuff. It's good stuff to give it a shot. But anyhow, let's, let's actually get back to what I want to, what we should be talking about here. Um, so I, I have a, an interesting idea, or question, I guess, here. You were bringing up the idea that hunting is not a big thing in Hawaii, but would you find that it's, it's, it's well-recepted, even though it's not a big thing for the people that live there to do it? Would you find that it, they're still very open to it because of all the, the wild animals, or is it just because, yeah, no, that's just, that's just a way of life, and that's just the way it is here? 
Um, I don't want to get too political, but it's a very political thing out here. So is it okay? Uh, there are a lot of local hunters that, um, you know, these are kids that grew up here and they're in their forties now and they've seen how things have changed, but you know, Hawaii is very influenced by people that are not from here. Um, a lot of people from the West coast move here and whatever your politics are, if you're from yeah, metropolitan California, you're probably not into hunting. Um, so there's a big push to preserve uh, like native plant species or even reintroduce native plant species. And, uh, you know, the animals out here eat plants. So um, there's not a lot of game management. It's either eradicate them or don't eradicate them. So what they're doing now, especially on Big Island, is they build tall fences. They trap uh, like the mouflon sheep. And then they'll fly over with a helicopter and um, thin out the population. But there's no um, so on a governmental level, I'd say that there could it, it could be managed better if they publicize it. And um, you know, like in Alaska, they have biologists that fly every day counting animals, and they set bag limits and they encourage hunting. Out here, hunting is not encouraged and. Um, at least on a government governmental level, um, and the the game isn't really managed at all. It's just either the season's on or it's not. Um, from a um, like a community level, I've never talked to anybody that was like, "Oh, that's gross" or "That's nasty" or "Why are you doing that?" Everybody that I've talked to seems to you know really um, be interested in it. Um, and the idea of providing your own food seems appealing to a lot of people. So Hawaii is a very, uh, you know, a lot of people have gardens and stuff out here and they, they grow their own crops and, you know, the, it's rich soil and we have a lot of sun. So I think being self-sufficient is kind of a big thing out here. Yeah, it, that, that's kind of the reason why I was kind of asking about that because, you know, not want to state the obvious, but you guys are isolated being on an island. You know, of course, you're exporting and importing a lot of things, but it seems like to me, if you had a walking meat resource available 24-7, 365, and you could use something as pure as a bow and as quiet as a bow that, you know, we were talking earlier before we started, you know, you could go out, hunt two, three, four nights a week and have continuous supply of fresh meat. Now, granted, is it wild game and you might have to acquire a new pallet? Sure. But that stuff is free. Oh, like yeah. that just... Like that sounds awesome to me. The ability to have free wild produce, you know, it's always funny. We have game, you know, our game commission puts it, we have elk in Pennsylvania, you know, up in the Northern part, just right across the interstate from me. And the game commission runs like those, like those uh, wildlife cams, you know, on a giant telephone pole and it'll pan around and you can watch the deer and elk in these food plots. And so I'll put it on in the morning uh, for my students when they come into the classroom, you know, I'm like, Oh, look, there's a doe out in the food pot. You know, it's kind of cool. And my joke is always, Oh, look, there's a steak with legs. Oh, there it goes. Run away. You know, that's the thing. And to me, parents calling the school, who is this guy? Yeah. Well, the thing like, Oh, uh, uh, real quick, I'll tell you this, uh, two, two years ago, it was right smack in the middle of archery season, uh, probably late October, early November. And it, it's a very rural area where I live. Everybody hunts, the boys and the girls. And I teach middle school, and it's right at the age in Pennsylvania where kids can start hunting by themselves. You know, the parents don't have to carry the gun for them. They can carry their own gun, have their own tags. 
And uh, I had a young man, he had shot his first doe. And uh, I didn't know this yet, but he came in and he brought me his homework packet and he handed it to me. And I knew on the upper right hand corner, I knew it was, I knew it was blood. I could see it was <laughs> I said to the young man, we'll call him Tim. I said, hey, Tim, is this, uh, is this deer blood? He goes, oh yeah, we, we shot it last night. I had to do my homework while we were cutting up the meat. I'm like, <laughs> like that is, that was awesome that A, he's doing his homework, which is great, but B, that he is, he's taking the onus for, his, for what, he's putting into, what his family's putting into their body. And I tell this to everybody, all the venison that, that I shoot, you know, we don't go out and buy steaks. You know, we'll eat chicken time to time just to kind of mix it up. But all of our red meat, unless, you know, we're having like a big party or something and I'm going to be the 4th of July or Memorial Day, I want to cook up burgers. You know, we get venison hot dogs made. We get venison sausage made. We get chip steak made for Philly cheesesteaks and that sort of stuff. And that's, that is our meat. And to have that resource for you guys available 24-7, you know, our seasons are only open for a few weeks. You guys can go out right now and whack a hog and you have bacon, fresh bacon tonight. You know, that, that's a cool thing to me that I don't think a, pe- a lot of people get to understand how precious that is because when that, when that type of stuff goes away, you don't realize that you could actually miss it. Well, you know, when the COVID thing hit, <clears throat> everybody was worried about, you know, people making runs on the grocery stores. I didn't go shopping for two or three weeks. You know, I didn't need to. I had neighbors like, hey, man, how, you got meat, you got food, you know, just in case. And I was like, not only do I have food, but I can go and get it anytime I need to. I'm still not worried about it. But even more than that, I've raised my kids the way, you know, your student was raised. and. Um, they don't just like go to the refrigerator and grab some like lunch meat, like these weird slices of bologna like I did. They know where that food came from. They've seen daddy cutting it up in the kitchen. They've seen daddy shoot it. You know, we talk about it all the time. I keep all these these trophies, not because I'm, you know, a tr- trophy hunter per se, but because I love these animals and all these animals have stories and um, when we're sitting here eating our dinner at the table, you know, the kids know about the the food supply, you know, and they ask a lot of questions about it and they appreciate that an animal had to die for that food to be on the plate. And so nothing's taken for granted in the Williams household. And as it, as it should, I don't know, I don't know about you. When I, when I get like all my stuff vaccinated or a freezer wrapped up, I'll take a Sharpie and I'll write like dough from the Oak flat seven point, you know, on this trail, you know, I'll like put like, and then I pull that out three, four months later. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I remember this hunt. Like I know where this animal came from. I know exactly what type of food source that it was eating off of that area. Like, and that, that type of stuff is like, I'm not a big, you know, hippie green thumb type of thing. Although I, you know, plant my own gardens and I, I love, uh, uh, soil conservation is a big part of, of something I believe in, but just that connection to your food, people just don't have. They just don't understand anymore. And um, it's something I've been living with for the past 15 or more 17 now years. And it's great that your kids are coming up, but my kids are still a little too young to understand. My three-year-old, my three-year-old still thinks the doe is sleeping, you know, or the, or the buck is sleeping, which is fine. But you know, at your kid's age there, they're at an age where they can understand like, this is what has to happen, whether you're eating pork, chicken, beef, or venison, you know, you have to have this animal. Um, and, and process it correctly. And so that's really cool that they have that understanding. 
because I think a lot of kids are very, very disconnected from that these days. And obviously that is not something I want. Well, a lot of adults too. I mean, I told you I was <clears throat> anti-hunting forever, even though I ate meat, I was against hunting. And, um, every animal I've shot has died within minutes. I mean, the bison that I shot was dead three minutes after I pulled the trigger. Um, I actually pulled a bullet out of his heart when I was processing him. So, um, you know, these animals die well, they live well, you know, they've, they've lived free lives. And, um, you know, I'm really big on shooting mature animals. Um, but even if you're not, I mean, dying at the end of one of my arrows or with my bullet is way better than being torn apart by an alligator or a bear or a wolf or something like that. So that's something that no one, that no one actually thinks about. Like, it's not like, you know, I, I get very touchy when, when people bring this up. Um, I, I remember, uh, in college, someone asked me, did you catch anything? Like after I went for hunting and I'm like, you don't understand. People, people think that animals, the biggest, the biggest pushback, I don't get a lot of pushback in terms of the anti hunting or people that just haven't been exposed to, but the biggest thing is like, well, you know, my dog, my cat, right? We let it live its life. If you spend 30 seconds watching any animal documentary ever, there are three ways where an animal in the wild and particularly a prey species expires. It's killed by a predator and eaten alive, most likely, which is terrible. Uh, it dies of disease or it dies of starvation slash cold. Those are the three ways that it, right? So I'm just another predator in that life cycle. I'm no different that, you know, here we have bears and coyotes and, and foxes and all the other predators here. Like it, it, I'm just the same, pre and I'm probably making better use of it than they would because I've seen what happens when a pack of coyotes take down a deer. They'll eat half it and leave the rest of it for the ravens. And for me, well, you're also I go, not tearing its, you know, its entrails out while it's still alive. Right. Like it's a very predators. Right. I, I'm the nicest. Really, I am the nicest of all of all the predators. Um, and and that's something I think that people just don't want to accept that those are the, really the three ways that a, a wild animal, ha, you know, will end its life. And also another thing too, this, I've talked to a lot of people actually just even recently that at least, I don't know about there in Hawaii, but like our whitetails, a three to four year old whitetail is old in Pennsylvania. That is an old deer, right? People are like, oh, my dog lived to be 16. Well, this isn't your dog, right? This is a wild, I don't know, like, I don't know what the lifespan would be of a, of a hog or, or one of the goats that's running around down there. Um, but the lifespan is very short and, and it's, it's not because of me. It's because that's just how nature is, um, at least here in Pennsylvania. So, yeah, I'm, you know, two of those ways that they die, you talked about predators and starvation. <clears throat> One usually leads to the other, you know, like you'll have, a maybe a six or seven year old mountain goat and he's got no teeth. You know, he's an old goat and he can't eat anymore. And usually that's when the bears will take advantage of him. So not only have they been starving for a long time because they're resilient animals, that usually ends with a predator demolishing them. So, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, this sounds like, you know, your game species really well, but um, I look for the mature animals, especially with the blacktail and Kodiak. I want them to have a chance to propagate. Um, and then, you know, ethical kill, and it's quick, and, um, you know, I think that it's, it's the best for nature, and it's the best for my family, so. 
So what do you, so let's, let's transition then to one of the topics that we discussed earlier in, in like our questionnaire here. Think, what do you think is the best way to expose these people? Ex- not just these people, that's kind of an improper way of saying, it, but expose the, the general public to hunting in Hawaii, in Alaska, here in PA, Indiana, I, whatever. Like, what do you think is probably one of the better approaches now that you've been doing it, you know, for, for since 2009 to bring people into the world of hunting and into our side and our um, way of seeing things, if you will? I think we're doing it. Um, so for me, my big push is um, I'm, I'm black and I'm a hunter and I don't know a lot of black hunters and um, you know in in my culture a lot of things there are a lot of things we do that we're told we can't do and nobody tells us we can't do it we tell ourselves like I'm a professional rescue swimmer and uh, I can't tell you how many times I was told black people don't swim but I do it professionally now Um, so for me it's just talking about it and we have these awesome tools like you you know you're on youtube and you're doing a podcast now but i think when we talk about it the way we talk about it matters because i might see a video on youtube um, with someone killing a goat and they'll take you know a 500 yard shot hit in the leg and then you know follow it up with maybe a a vital shot and they're cheering about it and they're like high-fiving you'll never see me in a picture with an animal that i take where i'm like I'm not even smiling and it's not because I'm upset that I killed the animal. It's because I celebrate what it provides for me, but I don't celebrate having to kill it. And for me, it's a somber moment. And I think the way we rep- we represent ourselves as hunters um, is what can bring people to our side. If you're logical and you know that you eat meat and I expose you to um, an ethical kill and the fact that I use everything off that animal and I represent myself as, um, you know, someone that you would want to be around. Um, then I think that, that, that can and, and does bring people to our side. You know, I, I've met a lot of people that are hunters now that weren't before. And I think that's really important. It's just talking about it. It's just, you know, it's not, it does not have to be a taboo subject and particularly bow hunting. I think people are really accepted or more willing to accept bow hunting than gun hunting. Do you find that's a particular, I mean, you talk about how the landowners in your area, right? You say, oh, I'm a bow hunter. I found here in PA, if I say, hey, I'm a bow hunter, it's quiet, uh, you know, it's, it's much stealthier. Um, you, know, um, you know, here in PA, the big thing is like deer drives during gun season, people go and they push deer, to other people, and they blast at them with 30-30s, <laughs> 30-06s. You don't do that in bow season. You're, you're trying to ambush. It's more of a, that predatory feel. Do you find that the bow hunting in particular would be a better way to get people introduced into that? Um, th- yeah, yes and no. I think, uh, I mean, you know, bow hunting is hard and uh yeah do they allow crossbows not in hawaii no no crossbows in hawaii okay no okay but i definitely encourage bow hunting because i think it makes you a better hunter you know like it's not hard to pick up a magnum rifle and be uh deadly with it within you can go to the range one time and be ready to hunt but with the bow you know i i practiced in my driveway for three months before I went on a hunt. And I would say that's probably a pretty quick learning curve. 
But like I said, I'm a rescue swimmer. I'm a maniac. I'm very methodical. I, John Dudley was like a staple in this house for three months. So, um, and, uh, you know, I'm fairly, fairly athletic, so I know how to use my body. But, um, yeah, I think that people are more receptive because I think that they view you as a more serious hunter when you're a bow hunter because you have to be. You know, you have to practice all the time. You have to be good at stalking. Um, if you're a successful bow hunter, you have to be good at shot placement. You have to understand, um, you know, the different angles and dynamics of what you're looking at when you see an animal, if you're on a hill, if you're in a tree stand as opposed to flat ground. Um, so I think people are definitely more intrigued with it uh, because it is so hard, somewhat primitive. I mean, with 300 foot per second bow, it's still somewhat primitive. Um, but yeah, I was intimidated by it as a rifle hunter. Um, and so if I'm intimidated by it, it's something that I respect. And I think most people feel that way. Is the access to archery hunting equipment relatively simple in Hawaii? No. No, no. I didn't think it would be. Everything's hard out here. We have two archery shops on the island. I live on the North Shore, and they're both in town, which is, you know, in traffic. That could be an hour and a half drive. Oh, really? Uh, okay. One of them is only open during rush hour traffic, so from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., and then the other one is open uh, normal business hours, but they just don't have a lot in stock. So um, learning how to do, you know, I have a bow press upstairs, and um, I, I can work on my own bow myself. I can build arrows. So Amazon, and um, there's a shop that I like in California, West Coast Archery Shop. Um, they, I get a lot of my stuff from there. So, I mean, you know, everything is accessible with the internet now. Too accessible. Too, yeah. <laughs> Ties too accessible. Um, and you went, real quick, um, you went with the used bow route. You didn't want to buy, you didn't go to buy out the latest flagship and start, you saved a significant amount of money and were able to find a used bow. Talk about that just real quick. Well, yeah, there's a big military community here. Um, and so a lot of people do what I did. They see Cam Haynes and then they go out and buy his bow and then they realize that this is really hard. And then that bow ends up on Craigslist. And so people like me get, get a lot of good deals, but yeah, there was a 2017 Hoyt Defiant, uh, carbon. Uh, that was my first bow. Got it for 800 bucks, like fully outfitted. I ended up having to change a lot of the components, but even for a bare bow, um, at that point it was, a year old that's a pretty good deal on Hoyt's flagship bow and particularly the carbon model yeah um now i did matthews got me with their uh their uh proving grounds video with levi morgan and i now am the owner of a brand new uh matthews vxr uh, um, but yeah i still have that defiant i still like that thing is that the is that the 80 pound limb defiant uh it is yeah yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Started with 70 pound limbs on there, but the more campaigns I watched, the more I thought I wanted you gotta to go 80 pounds. And do you yeah. have like a pretty good size draw length? 30 inch, yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah. It's tuned down though. It's tuned down to 76 pounds. Just uh, yeah, just only 76 pounds. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> it's fine. I'm shooting rebar at 350 feet a second. You know, yeah. you're sawing pigs in half. Like what do you 
I can tell you it's ridiculous and I, I am fully aware that I don't need that. And all my friends tell me I don't need it. Um, but I'm just, you know, if I can pull it back, then why not? It's, it's really not a problem to pull it back. But the VXR I got is the 75 pound modules and I can only get about 72 pounds out of it. Um, and it's a lot more comfortable to shoot. All right, so this would not be an archery podcast if I didn't ask you about your current arrow. We know about the bow, but what's your current arrow build that you're chasing all those critters down in Hawaii with? Okay, yeah. Uh, so this year I switched to I switched from an FMJ to the Axis, the Eastern Axis, five millimeter. Um, I cut mine at like twenty eight and five sixteenths uh, lengths. Lengths. It just worked out that way. <laughs> it just twenty eight and five sixteenths. <laughs> It just like, worked out that way. <laughs> I, I put it on my rest. I marked it, and that's what it ended up being. Okay. Um, it's uh, let's see. It's two hundred sixty spine. Yeah, two sixty spine. I'm, I'm shooting seventy two pounds. Um, I just switched to the QAD um, Excalibur. I think is the broadhead. Um, and I really Exodus. Like Exodus. That's it. Yeah. Um, I was using the muzzy troll cars before, um, but for the axis deer, I need to be a little bit quieter. So I didn't want a vented broadhead. Um, and these things, I mean, they group with my field points within an inch. Um, so I really like those things. And they, I mean, the first pig I shot with them, it looked like a blood bomb went off. So I don't have a lot of experience with different broadheads, but I really like these, uh, these Exodus broadheads. I've never met a person that shot the Exodus and didn't like them. Yeah, I love them. Yeah. I've never met someone. Got a uh, hundred grains on there. Um, I have the Q2I. I want to say Max something or other vein. It's a three-inch vein, uh, low profile though, and it's really stiff. So that's a three-fletch with right helical on it, and I, I fletch him with the uh, Arizona Easy Fletch. So it's a uh, you know I don't know what the degrees is or what the degree on the, the helical is, but, um, fly straight for me. And, uh, so I'm pretty happy with that setup. And I, I did, I was using an outsert before, like an insert outsert, the Easton, I think it was the aluminum ones. I didn't like them. Um, I, if I can use an arrow more than once then I want to, um, and those things would always, they, they'd bend a little bit anytime they hit some bone or something or even just, you know, practicing. I, I, I probably shoot a thousand arrows a week. So that was pretty rough on them. So I switched back to the hit inserts with the broadhead adapter rings. And pretty happy with that setup. You so, do run the broadhead adapter rings. Everybody I see, I ran, I ran them too when I shot the axes and then everybody else I asked who shot the axes, they're like, Oh no, never even heard of them. Yeah, I do. I just, I think they, uh, they provide a little bit more integrity, structural integrity for the tips. Yeah. So, um, yep. So I use those and uh, I'm right at, I want to say like 425 grains total setup. Okay. Yeah. So even at that, even at that two, well, I guess you are, you are cut pretty, you're cut relatively short, you know, 28 there and five, six, five sixteenths. <laughs> and uh, it might be 11 sixteenths. I don't know. There's it's one. Yeah. It's a 16th. You know, it's very pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. We need to convert that to metric uh, for all the international <laughs> listeners. <laughs> and I do knock off these inserts. I don't use them at the full 75. I'd knock them off to 50 grains on the hit inserts. 
Oh, do you have the brass? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 I'm, I need distance though. So I, I, you know, these axes deer, they're like ninjas. And if, if you can shoot at, you know, 70, 80, a hundred yards, um, that's not frowned upon here. I have a friend that kills him at 140 yards. So really? you can get a shot that far off, even in that more jungle s terrain. Lanai is not jungle esque. It's uh, okay. It's yeah, not okay. Yeah, it kind of looks like Texas uh, with pretty water. Oh, okay. But yeah, so I, I need a lighter setup because I practice at 100 yards in my range, um, and I feel confident shooting an animal at, at about 80 yards. So. Oh my! What sight are you using then to get that that more accurate distance then down? Uh, I have the Spot Hog Fast Eddies, the three pin slider. Okay. Um, and then I just, I just bought the, um, the CBE, the custom bow equipment, um, engage three pin. So I'm waiting for that to come in. And then, is that the, uh, is that the hybrid there with the, with the third slider? Yeah. And then my buddy that shoots 140 has a, an HHA something or other. So, you know, yeah. I'm just like every other hunter. I'm a gear guy. And I know. I love part. that hybrid. I've been shooting that hybrid for 3D, and I've been shooting it as a single pin because you can you can set the pins up. You could run the bottom as a slider. You could run the middle as a slider. The top is – you can do whatever you want. And so I've moved the bottom pins all the way out of the way, and I've been shooting that top pin as a slider pin. Huh. I've got that thing set up with – oh, it's great. I set it up as a sight tape, and I've been shooting it for unknown 3D. And uh, you, you can put a lens in the, the sight tape that comes with it, or did you make your own? No, it comes with well, you can make your own, but it comes with 15 sight tapes, metal sight tapes. Accurate. Oh, yeah, I'm on the 13th one, and I can only get out to 52 yards, but that's it's dead nuts at 52 yards. Oh, wow, here at my house, yeah. yeah. So that's what, yeah, so it's it's literally three sights in one, so you can run it. So, depending on here, total tangent, depending on here in PA what I can do for 3D, um, depending on the class, I either have to shoot fixed pins and I can't touch my sight, or I can shoot a single pin uh, and I can move my sight, or I can shoot a single pin with a lens, you know, to magnify the target. So that sight allows me to do all three. I can set, I can have my pins 20, 30, 40, or I run them at like 20, 23, 32, 42. Um, or I can run that top pin as a sink. Yeah, you have to, man. It's, you know, you're it's making 3D. fun of me for 11, 16 and you set your pins up. And no, cause there's money, there's money on the line here. You know, with some of these 3d shoots, I gotta, you know, if I'm, if I'm judging distance, I want that, you know, that yard or two overlay yeah. and we got speed limits, you know, I got to hold the 290 feet per second or slower. You know, you got There's a lot of things to play you're here. The pro. I'm not doubting you. No, I am not the pro. Let's, let's get that very clear. I shoot in bow hunter <laughs> class. We're not pros. But anyhow, well, anyway, on that note, I want to thank you so much today, Rob, for joining us. Is there any social media that the general public can follow you at? Yeah, I mean, I'm just a normal guy, but I have an Instagram page. It's at the story of the hunter, the story of the hunter. And that's because I want to expose people to the story, you know, behind the scenes when it comes to each hunt. So that's it. Instagram. That's all I got. Sounds, hey, that sounds good. If I could get rid of Instagram, I totally would. So, you know, if you want to take, like my wife runs my Instagram account. Like that's how sad my life is. I'm a terrible millennial. But anyway, folks, thanks so much for joining me and Rob today. I appreciate it. Again, if you would like to be on the podcast, AverageJackArchery at gmail.com. Find me, regrettably, on Instagram as well as on Facebook. Leave a comment on YouTube. Hope you're able to get outside, enjoy the sport of archery, archery hunting if you so choose. Definitely enjoy God's beautiful creation. And we'll get to see you next time.